Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly Merclear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Therapy and Theology. Over the last several weeks, we have been exploring our emotions through a series called Why Do I Feel This Way? And we've been seeking to understand and explore what distressing emotions are telling us and how when we come to them with curiosity and compassion, we are able to deconstruct them in a way that is both helpful for our development emotionally and spiritually. So we've covered so much in the last five weeks, and today as we conclude this series, I want to take a moment to just sit and think about what we've discovered and then practice a few techniques that pair beautifully with common spiritual disciplines to assist us in continuing to understand and make time to reflect and process our emotions. Something I thought was so powerful as I reflected back over the last four episodes was that in every area of our distress, we find a correlating desire or a divine aspect, as I've been calling them. So in our fear and anxieties, we experience brokenness, but we long for wholeness and safety. In isolation and shame and guilt, we desire honesty and connection. In our anger and discord and division, we desperately seek the design for unity. And in the face of death, whether physical or the death of a dream or desire, we long for eternity in our hearts. 
You see, what I've been learning over the past several weeks is that the presence of my distress or the distress I sit with day after day in my work is pointing us to our desires and a design. Ronald Rollheiser suggests in his writing that all human souls experience this internal tension by way of longing, loneliness, desire, restlessness, and other felt emotions. But there's something we learn in the face of our longings and the naming the ways we are left wanting. As we chase after things, feelings, experiences, people, we come to find that these things cannot quench the insatiableness of our souls. You know, for a lot of my clients, and even for myself, I think oftentimes we desire to alleviate our distress and hope it will never return. But the question I've been asking instead is, how is my soul being shaped by longing? I find this so interesting that in all of this discussion on understanding and decoding our distress, we see this reiterating theme of what is it that we are chasing after? Who or what has become the object of my chasing, my focus, my treasure? Because there is where my heart will try to find its home. And there my soul will seek safety. And there my hope and desire will be held. And what we realize in our attempts to find safety and security in anything except Christ is that we are left longing. Our longings bring us back to Jesus, don't they? I think something that I've learned more than anything in the past 30 years of my life is that when I continually experience distress, it reminds me that nothing in this world can or will resolve the problem of our various trials and pain. For in our wandering and losses, our heartbreaks, our hopeless moments, our weaknesses and sin, we return to the one who created us and deeply cares for our souls. So what if we allowed this to be the framework for experiencing our distress in its various forms and allowed it to highlight the way that God comes to us? You know, for in him, There is wholeness for our brokenness, connection for our shame and isolation, unity in our division and eternity in exchange for death. I think of the passage in Psalms 63, 1 through 8, it says this, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest foods with singing lips. My mouth will praise you and on my bed. I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. When I read these words, I am brought back to the way my heart longs for God in a parched and weary place. What if these are the places where God is drawing us back to himself and there are areas in which we can see our divine nature? So there are so many ways we can practice being shaped by our longings. And in therapy, we call these distress tolerance skills. And in church, maybe you've known them as spiritual disciplines. 
So I want to walk through just a few of these to encourage you to take time to pause and practice and allow them to be incorporated into your daily rhythms. What does it look like to be shaped by our longings and allow these areas of distress to be able to produce in us a deeper awareness of God's love and his mercy? So the first one I want to talk about today is observation. Sometimes we get stuck in our emotions, right? They overpower us or they can feel so overwhelming. And one way to create distance in our distressing times is to observe the emotion. This is where we ask the question, what is it telling me? Where is it coming from? By observing, we don't label or categorize, but we just notice and name. Right? And we've talked about this practice a little bit throughout the episodes. And one way we can integrate this observation practice into our spiritual disciplines is through silence and contemplation. I like to use the prayer of examine. And this is a old contemplative practice that allows us to connect our bodies and minds through reflection and meditation. I use a, a variation of this that I created myself that all start with R. Rest reflect, rejoice, repent, and renew. So let me walk you through this very quickly. Rest. This is where I will take one to two minutes of just silence to invite God in and to be still. Reflect. This is the practice of being aware and observing. How is my body feeling? What is my mind going to? What are the thoughts and feelings that are coming up as I sit still? Maybe it's anxiety Maybe it's stress. Maybe it's feelings of overwhelmedness. Maybe it's thoughts of doubt and shame. I write these down and then I move into rejoice. And this is a moment where I pause and recognize the small and large ways God is bringing gifts into my life. The observation here is to acknowledge gratitudes. Sometimes for me, it's acknowledging the sunshine or the beautiful fall weather. What is it for you? How is God's grace being observed? And then number four, repent. This is the practice of confessing honestly our distress, our anger, our frustration, our curiosity, and our questions to God. Maybe it's confessing the way that we have not been kind or engaged in things that do not honor the Lord. But we don't stop here. We then step into renew, and this is probably the most important part of this practice. It renews our minds in the goodness of God and what he says for our future. And so oftentimes I'll use a passage of scripture here to remind my soul that I am a beloved child of God. Not only does this give us a time to be still in silence and contemplate how God is coming to us, but it also allows us to take a step back and observe what's going on and allow it to align with God's will and his way. How is God coming to us through these things and how are we perceiving them? Those are important questions to ask. And this allows us to check in, slow down and invite God into our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, our discouragements and renew our minds. In addition to this, There is a practice of mindfulness. This is number two. Now, maybe you're familiar with mindfulness from a therapy perspective. 
The act of being present and bringing our attention to the moment allows our minds and bodies to regulate from whatever emotion is maybe pulling us out of the present. I love the analogy of seeing anxiety as very futuristic focused and regret or sadness as being past focused, right? And so being focused on the past or the future is really challenging because we don't have control over either of those things. And so what mindfulness does is it brings us back to the present moment and it grows our capacity for personal power. We have control over this present moment. And so this is where we'll stay. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. One common mindfulness practice that I really enjoy is this idea of recognition of the day. And it's found through a acrostic, glad, gratitude, learn, accomplish, delight. And these four areas allow me to connect with my day. What am I grateful for? What is one thing I'm grateful for? What is one thing I'm learning? What is one thing I want to accomplish? And what is one thing I've delighted in? What this does is it brings us to the present moment and it allows us to reflect and be present with what's going on in our day. And this really helps us to disconnect from maybe the distress or the expectations that we have on ourselves. If we're just focused on one thing instead of 17 things, we can allow ourselves to be more present with ourselves. And how does this connect us to God? Well, in a lot of ways, I think mindfulness can be paired with solitude. It's really hard to be mindful if we have a lot going on and we never take time to be alone. And for a lot of us, I think being alone is a hard thing. People oftentimes associate being alone with loneliness. And I think this is a tricky thing because scripture in many ways reminds us how important it is to be alone But there's a distinction here. It's not isolation, but solitude. And those are two very different things. You know, I think of solitude as a way of intentionally being present with God. And we think of this in in any kind of relationship, right? 
we want to spend time with those people that we love and that regulate us. And so the same can be said with our relationship with God. When we take time to be present with God, it creates what Brother Lawrence named practicing the presence of God. I think sometimes in our culture, we can get really rigid about the practice of spiritual disciplines and they can become very legalistic. But what I love about this concept of practicing the presence of God is that it's not contained and it's not regulated by a specific spiritual discipline, but it's holistic in nature. When we practice the presence of God, we're just inviting God into every part of our day. And oftentimes solitude grows this practice, right? When we take time to be alone and intentionally invite God into our moment and acknowledge the delight that he brings us or things that we're grateful for, we are able to better see his presence in every area of our lives. And this is a beautiful way to deconstruct the rigidness around spiritual disciplines, but to acknowledge that God comes to us and can be present with us in brushing our teeth, to driving in our cars, to climbing a mountain, to going for a run. Anything that we do, we can practice the presence of God by inviting him into that space. And this brings us to a grounded place, right, where we can be mindful of how God is meeting us in that moment. So in addition to practicing observation and mindfulness, the third skill that I think is really important for regulating our distress is what I call self validation. And this is a pretty common term within therapy. And what I want to give a distinction on, because again, whenever we use this word self, people tend to get a little bit uncomfortable, but self-validation is really the practice of acknowledging what's going on inside of us. So for instance, when we have a specific emotion, this is kind of a three-step process. One, what is the emotion that I'm experiencing? Two, what are the triggers to this emotion? What are the reasons for why I'm feeling this way? And then number three, what's a statement that I can give to myself that allows me just to feel this feeling, right? It kind of builds off of these observation and mindfulness practices of being able to acknowledge, okay, I feel anxious and I have a lot going on right now. There's, you know, a lot going on with my kids or there's a lot going on with my family or I have a lot of work to do today at the office. These are the reasons for the distress. And then the final step of this process is to be able to provide a statement that allows us to have this experience. So much of our distress is built off of not accepting unwanted feelings. So the goal here is to just acknowledge, I'm stressed. Here are the reasons. This makes sense. (laughs) And if we can practice that, then we won't, one, need a lot of external validation for our feelings because we'll be able to do it on our own, acknowledging the emotion, the reasons for the emotion, and then allowing the emotion to be there can actually help us move through the emotion way faster than maybe ignoring it or suppressing it or believing that it's not necessary to feel. The correlating spiritual practice that I think connects to self-validation is prayer and scripture. You know, we see throughout scripture that prayer is a way to honestly express our emotion and then to invite God into that. But then scripture also allows us to renew our minds in what is good and trustworthy. And it also allows us to embody the Father, as we've talked about in last week's episode. When we acknowledge the way that God comes to us and the way Jesus interacted with those around him throughout his ministry, 
with gentleness and kindness, we can do the same with ourselves. Now, I think of so many that struggle or suffer in scripture where Jesus came to them, even in their sin and showed compassion and grace. And so what if we practice that for ourselves and how, how does scripture allow us to really engage with embodying the father and allowing us to acknowledge the feelings that we experience and then surrender them to him through prayer. And then finally, one of the final and I think most important practices to engage our whole selves is through support. And this is this external practice of community and care. Something that I think that oftentimes so many of us do is that we try to do this alone, this life alone. And I sit with so many people day in and day out that have a hard time finding the support that they need. And so therapy is a great way to engage with support that is consistent and that can help us even model healthy relationships. In addition to therapy, I think that the correlating kind of concept here is community and care. And this can go two ways, right? If if we're in a place where we feel equipped, then how are we contributing to the care in our communities? And maybe you're in a place where you're like, hey, I'm experiencing a lot of distress. What does it look like to be in community with that? You know, we cannot heal in isolation. I think I say that so often. And so what does it look like to offer care or to be in communities to receive care? This being known and being loved and loving and knowing is a practice that I think God calls us to. And this is not to say that this is not hard work. It is. It's vulnerable work, um, but it's fruitful in so many ways. So I hope that this conclusion of our series is a helpful way to pause and practice both spiritual disciplines and these movements of our heart in order to withstand the distress that we are bound to face in our lives, but with a hope and a confidence that God shows up there and He shapes us in these seasons for His glory and our good. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarkboyer.com. tired of parenting advice and news headlines that are more confusing than assembling Ikea furniture, we've got just the podcast for you. My dear friend, Abby, and I are here to help you navigate the parenting roller coaster. Should your kids be on social media? What should you tell a friend facing an unplanned pregnancy? These are just some of the many questions we tackle on our podcast. Subscribe to The Real Deal of Parenting wherever you find your podcast.